because you talk to them. In fact, it's not a good idea to talk to angels. But it's a great idea to ask God and God sends angels. I mean, I remember the first time was, uh, I'd been a Christian for three days. And uh, I'd read this verse which says, sometimes when you help people, you entertain angels. Meaning without knowing, you sometimes are taking care of angels who come sometimes disguised in various forms. I remember traveling in this train. It's traveling at 80 kilometers per hour. And uh, there's this guy who looks like a beggar sitting near the toilet. And uh, I decide that uh, someone needs to help him. But I was very conscious. I've been a Christian for three days, very conscious of helping him. So I wouldn't move and I had some food with me. And, uh, I was so conscious of being a Christian that I had actually wrapped my Bible with newspaper so nobody knows I'm reading the Bible. That is how shy I was of being a Christian initially. And then I remember deciding I gotta go feed this guy because I'm reading the Bible, it's talking about this. So I get up and I go and I sit right next to him and I start telling him about Jesus and as I'm telling him about Jesus, he isn't saying anything but tears are just flowing out of his eyes. And so we sit there and I eat with him. People are looking at me strangely as in what's wrong with you. And then I go back to my seat. And uh, five minutes later I thought I'll go give him something more. And these trains in India don't have through connections to the next uh, compartment. It's just there. And I go back and this guy has disappeared. So I go looking throughout the compartment trying to locate him. Can't find him. So I think to myself, what if he's seated somewhere? So I go looking for him, can't find him. And this was just three days after becoming a believer. And I realized that day that, oh shucks, God actually sends angels. That was my first encounter. The second time was when I was in a church and uh, I was um, talking to a group of people and I was telling God, uh, telling the people how I had often failed and not done well and I don't know why things are going wrong and I'm failing and stuff like that. And there's one man in the congregation, he's sitting there and he's looking at me and he's shaking his head sometimes to encourage my points. Whenever I say points that about my failure, he just smiles. But whenever I say anything about God or about how God's worked for me, he shakes his head. And I know I've seen him somewhere, but I know I've never met him before. And this was in England. And so after the service, the guy comes up to me and he says to me that God wants you to know that all the times you thought you failed was not a failure, it was a test and you passed and you did well. And then I, I'm looking at him and I'm, I want to say to him that I, I, I've seen you before, I know you before, but I know I haven't, I've never met him before. And so I go and ask the pastor, who's that guy? And the pastor says he's never been here before. And a man never came after. Every time I've gone, I've looked for him, I've asked the pastors, there are multiple pastors in that church, never come back after. That was the second occasion when this happened. The third occasion was crazy, man. Some of these things, as I tell you, I was recounting today. And I wanted to tell the kids about this. Because guys, sometimes, one of the ways God helps you, because only God understands what sometimes happens in your heart. Because even grown-ups can't sometimes fathom what happens in a child's heart. God does. And God sometimes sends angels to just help you. Hi, guys. And so the third time was um, when... I desperately needed to give a book called The Happiest People on Earth to a person who was not a believer. And I knew that book would change their lives. And I looked for the book everywhere, couldn't find it. 
I had one copy and already given it to somebody. I'm thinking to myself, man, that guy is going to leave tomorrow. And so I prayed a simple prayer before going to bed. I said, Father, I need to give this book to this person. Uh, what do I do? Because I won't see this person. I have to give the person the book tomorrow. And uh, I said, I can't find that book. Looked everywhere, can't find it. And I knew I had to give that book. I go to sleep. The next morning, the strangest thing happens. There's a brand new, the happiest people on earth, right next to my uh, night table, sitting there. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. A brand new book. These are stories I've never said here before. Why? Because I want you kids to understand that man, there is a God who understands what's going on in your heart. And sometimes when you call out to him, even if grown-ups can't understand it, God does and he turns up. One of the coolest things that happened, which made me cry that night, is I was in this place where I was, very, I was sick, I couldn't move, I wasn't feeling good, it was very cold, and I didn't have even the strength to move, guys. And I'm lying there in bed and I'm crying out of God saying, Father, I'm seeing, feeling so cold, I wish... Uh, I could go to the next room or whatever and get a blanket and put it on myself, but I don't even have the strength for it. Now, many will dismiss this as, oh, you don't know, but maybe you got up at night and did this. I woke up in the morning, and I'm completely covered with the blanket from the next room. Completely covered. I was just in bed weeping because I knew what God had done. Strange things God does because children call out to him. The strange thing is he sees you and I as children too. But I'm talking about you kids. I know somebody else's story which I don't uh, want to share without their permission. But I remember once um, a, a child who was in dire trouble because um, um, big ants were going to come and completely crowd the child where it lay. And the mother cries out and these two people turn up who helped the child out. Multiple times I've heard of stories. These four stories happened with me that I'm absolutely aware of. And God only knows how many times God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness. Where's that? Go, go to the verse before. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemy is defeated and we shout it out. These are just four incidents. I can, I can come up with one or two more where God was protective. I just want you kids to remember that. Call out to God and sometimes he sends angels to take care of you. Because that's how God is. That's how God is. And strangely enough, kids, you guys are more prone to angels helping you than us grown-ups. We grown-ups have become too skeptical in our heads. Even as I told these stories, some of us were trying to figure out, perhaps you brought the book and left it on your night table by mistake. Perhaps you got up, sleepwalked to the next room, grabbed a blanket and covered, it to you, covered yourself, and you're now saying that God did it. This is how our grown-up minds think. But God says that you kids have angels appointed to you. It says so in Matthew. I'm not kidding you. It actually says so in the Bible. Begin to call out to God and you'll find that God will send angels to help you in times of trouble and you won't even understand it, but you'll suddenly know, huh, something's different. Just thought I'll share that with you. You hold my every moment You calm my raging 
the school verse in Job 36. Never read it before, though I've read it before. Job 36, verse 16. Here's what it says. God is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. God is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your, of your table laden with choice food. Never, never read that verse before. Quite surprised. Hebrews 11, 23 to 30. It's all about Moses. Here goes. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. Can you turn down the echo a little, uh, Matt? By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's decree or edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. That's what we'll talk about, just those six verses. Guys, uh, here's a different definition of faith. Faith is my trusting childlike response. Faith is my trusting childlike response to what God to what God has already provided by grace. Faith is my childlike Faith is my trusting, childlike response to what God has already provided. By grace. Faith is my trusting, childlike response to what God has already provided by grace, as in there's nothing that I am asking for in faith that God has not already provided in grace. There is nothing that I'm asking in faith that God has not already provided in grace. So there's nothing I can ask for. Nothing I can ask for that God hasn't already provided. And here's the other thing. Since he knows everything that I need, 
before I was born or before the earth was created. He's already made arrangements for everything I need to live this life in Vancouver. Even that is provided for in his grace and in his foresight. This is not, faith is often seen as some kind of extraction where we got to pull something out of God with faith. But instead, it is not extraction. It is already provided in grace for us. Romans 4.16 actually talks about that. Romans 4.16 talks about that. But it says, I've already provided things for you that you can access by faith. And even that I provided in grace. Just remember that. So let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 23. Hebrews 11, verse 23, where we start, it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was not an ordinary child and they were not afraid or not overawed or not terrified by the king's decree. Now, they had reason to be terrified, eh? Because uh, uh, Pharaoh had just said, I'm going to slaughter all the... Um, children who were below a certain age and he was setting out people to slaughter to go against the king's decree meant not just the slaughter of the children it meant the slaughter of the parents too but they were not terrified so the first principle we want to draw out from that verse is that faith is not intimidated by threat or perceived danger faith is not intimidated by threat or perceived danger Faith is not intimidated by threat or perceived danger. It's happened to the best of them. In 1 Kings 19 verse 3, you see Elijah getting news that Jezebel was really upset because he had won this amazing victory, victory on Mount Carmel. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19.3 that when Elijah saw what Jezebel was planning to do, he got afraid and he fled. The point being, guys, that faith is not intimidated by threats or perceived danger. So whenever there's a sense of perceived danger or threat based on something that might happen tomorrow, remember or be cognizant of the fact of two things, guys. One, this is Jacob and this is heaven. And strangely enough, don't ever forget that in Jacob lives the personal presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and at the same time that same Jesus is also seated on the throne never forget that it's the object it's the um, source of our faith that two things are happening at once at once the personal presence of Jesus Christ is in Jacob by the Holy Spirit the personal presence of Jesus Christ is in Jacob by the Holy Spirit and at the same time that same Jesus is also seated on the throne the king of the universe which cannot contain him the earth being his footstool at once faith is anchored in the simple statement that I will not leave you I am with you start there if I don't start there faith can't move all perceived danger, every threat has to be first met with this recognition that the same Christ who rules the entire universe as is seated on the throne, controlling everything that happens in the life of everything on the, in the universe, is the same Christ 
who is personally present in this human body. And it is anchored in the simple statement that, Jacob, I am with you. Stop there. Stop there. Fear actually is my heart's response when I come into agreement with the intimidation of the devil. Fear is actually my heart's response when I come into agreement with the intimidation of the devil. Fear is my heart's response when I come into agreement with the intimidation of the devil. That's what fear is. Where I agree with the intimidation that is being thrown upon me by the enemy. That's when fear happens. And so one of the best things to do at times of fear is to quickly go recognize this and after this go ask God for hope. Romans 5.5 5 says the Holy Spirit brings hope to me. So when I'm afraid, the first thing I do is go and ask God, Father, I'm afraid, I'm scared, these things aren't working out. Can you, through your word and through the witness of the Holy Spirit, give me hope because hope fuels endurance. Hope fuels endurance. I will not endure under pressure if there is no hope. Why would I not pack it in if there is no hope? Why would I not go with the flow if there is no hope? Hope fuels endurance. So in darkness, in the storm, in the midst of fear, ask the Holy Spirit to bring hope because Romans 5, 5 clearly, clearly indicates that he brings hope to those that love God, fills our hearts with hope. And he brings it through the word and through his witness. It's the only way to endure. Any questions before we move on? Okay. Next verse says, Aroused by faith, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Aroused by faith or by faith, Moses, when he, heard, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Guys, um, faith is not held captive by feelings. Faith is not held captive by feelings. One of the problems we Christians have when it comes to faith is we are hypnotized by feelings. We are hypnotized by feelings. You might think hypnosis doesn't work, but when it comes to feelings, feelings hypnotize believers. Where you're stuck with the feeling, and your feeling does not allow you to forge forward in faith. Can't afford it, guys. Faith is not held captive by feelings. Faith does not covet. Faith does not seek instant gratification. Faith does not seek instant pleasure. Moses didn't. It says, by faith he chose not to. Guys, here's the thing. Eh? Romans 1.17 says that the just shall live by faith or the righteous shall live by faith. Sometimes when your faith is not shaken, what the enemy then does is he tries to undo or undermine your righteousness. Sometimes when your faith is solid and it cannot be shaken, 
Satan tries to undermine your right ways of living or your righteousness. How does he do that? He provokes anger. He provokes sin. He provokes deceit. He provokes deception. He provokes shame. He provokes revenge. What then happens is the righteous shall live by faith. If faith cannot be shaken, why not attack Jacob's righteousness? Because once Jacob's righteousness is attacked, now he's out of place with God and is not able to walk with the same degree of faith as he could have otherwise walked. It's a common ploy of the enemy. Samson had faith. Samson had tremendous faith. So do what? Attack his righteousness. And boy was he successful. Be aware of that. That's The Bible says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. It says so in Romans 12. When you're walking a pathway of faith, know that there'll be provocations. And when provocations come, choose not to lose your temper. Choose not to avenge. Choose not to lie. Choose not to walk in ways that are being done unto you. Moses was mistreated and the Bible says, even though he was mistreated, he chose not to avenge. Even though he was facing disgrace, he chose not to be party with those that can give him position. This doesn't sit well with the prosperity faith gospel message. There you always want position, gratification, pleasure, increase. And here is exactly the opposite. Moses didn't want any of it. And remember this. God very clearly says, Hey Jacob, I will reward you if you seek my face when times are dark. I will reward you. Not if you seek an answer, if you seek a solution, but if you seek my face, I will reward you. Hebrews 11.6 or 11.5 says that. He who comes to God must know that he is a rewarder of those that seek him diligently. Faith that does not expect to be rewarded by God is unbiblical faith. Faith that does not expect to be rewarded by a faithful God is not biblical faith. Any questions? In Hebrews 11 it says, anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and must know that he rewards those that seek him diligently. Therefore, in any situation as a child seeks its parent, I need to seek his faith and seek what he has for me in that given situation. And when I do, as every child expects the parent to reward it for seeking the parent, so God says, I will reward you. Therefore, a child who goes to the parent for help, not expecting anything, is not a child that actually trusts or has a relationship with the parent. That child is an orphan and goes to anybody. Yeah. Questions? Okay, next line. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. 
and uh, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Guys, for faith to be successful, shut the eye of the mind and open the eye of the spirit. For faith to be successful, or let's put it this way, faith shuts the eye of the mind and opens the eye of the spirit, which allows you to see him who is invisible. Faith shuts the eye of the mind and opens the, I'll explain it, and opens the eye of the spirit so that you see him who is invisible. One last time. Faith shuts the eye of the mind and opens the eye of the spirit so that you see him who is invisible. We, we try to approach things with God, seeing things as our mind perceives. But everything about God is invisible and my spirit can recognize it, but my mind will not compute it. It is impossible to understand God using my mind. It is the curse of mankind that we have sometimes grown up in homes where the mind was given so much value that today people find it difficult to connect with God when the Bible says we are spirit beings in a body given a mind to process truth. And so faith shuts the eye of the mind, meaning it approaches things not with a this is what I see, this is what I hear, this is what I feel, this is what I sense, this is what I touch, this is what I smell. does not approach things like that. It shuts the eye of the mind and opens the eye of the spirit. So my spirit sees that which is invisible, as in God himself. God connects first to the spirit. God connects first to the spirit. It's amazing how uh, I've had occasion to be with a couple of babies over the last couple of years. And they make odd sounds and you make odd sounds back. And then you find the parents and the kids make odd sounds and the parents know what the kid wants. Those sounds make no sense to you, but they make complete sense to the parent. Don't know how it works. But a parent understands something about the kid that is internal that you and I can't understand through external words. It is I love the fact that whenever things go seriously wrong and everything in me is screaming, do this, do this, do this, Google this, Google this, Google this, Wikipedia this, Wikipedia this, Wikipedia this, and ask for the experts. Everything is screaming that. And then there is a place within where the spirit begins to see what God wants. And the spirit begins to see what God wants through the knowledge of the word, through the leading of the spirit. This is the way the you see what God wants. You see the invisible through the visible word and you see the invisible through the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit in you where he leads you, where he directs you. And if I don't follow that, I will live my entire life here on earth as an earthbound Christian who never experiences God here but will only experience God in heaven. If that were the case, accept Jesus Christ just before you die. Hopefully you'll get it right. What a shame it would be if we lived here without this experience, guys. I know this, guys. Faith will always bring out our true colors. Pre not faith. Pressure will always bring out our true colors. James chapter 1 verse 2 in the message puts it this way. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. You know that under pressure, your faith life 
it's forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let faith do its work so that you become mature. Crazy. God is saying, hey, Jacob, I want you to know that there is no other way you can grow other than the, through this process of faith. There is no other way you can grow other than through the process of faith. There is no other way you can grow other than through the process of faith. There is no growth. Faith comes by hearing. Growth comes by doing what you're told. Faith comes by hearing what you're told. Growth comes by doing what you're told. There's no other way around it. How do we get out premature? How do we prematurely get out of the process of faith? We sleep with three people. One, we sleep with Hagar. Two, we sleep with uh, Delilah. And three, we sleep with Bathsheba. Three women you should keep away from. Hagar is man-made solution. Delilah is passive faith. Languishing in passive faith. Man, she is so into Christians. And Bathsheba is sin or disobedience. Three people you should avoid if you want to walk in faith. The first one is Hagar. Man-made solutions. Abraham learned it the hard way. The second one is Delilah. Good old Samson would go lay his head and his flowing locks on her lap uh, in passive faith saying, yeah, spin it on her wheel and I'll lose my strength. He just played a fool with his faith. This was a man who was chosen to deliver Israel. Passive faith. And the third one is Bathsheba who David sinned with. Any of these methods will undo our faith, guys. Undoes our faith. This is how we prematurely get out of the process that God wants to take us through with faith so that we come out with greater growth. What do we do? We often resort to man-made solutions or we go into this mode called passive faith. Sometimes, the Bible does say that you cannot inherit anything without faith and patience. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 verse 12, you can only inherit things, inherit promises through faith and patience. You can only inherit promises through faith and patience. But sometimes, guys, laziness can masquerade as patience. Sometimes, laziness or sluggishness can masquerade as patience. Where you're not doing anything, it's passive. It's like, yeah, I'm waiting in faith. And what does that look like? looks like this. It's it, sometimes sluggishness or laziness masquerades as patience when it's not. How do you deal with it then? How do you solve it? Here's a very simple way to solve laziness, sluggishness, passivity. Hang out with passionate people. You hang out with passionate people, mediocrity will be exposed. Whenever passion shows up, mediocrity is exposed. Whenever passion shows up, mediocrity is exposed. Doesn't matter whether it's a software program, whether it's hockey, does not matter. Or whether it's Christian life. Passion always exposes mediocrity. Hang out with passionate people. And in that area, your laziness will be exposed and your laziness will be affected and changed.
Want to increase in faith? Do this. Hunger for it. Because there's not going to be any growth till we get to this place, guys. Any questions? Any questions? Hebrews 6.12. Yeah. Um, a child first approaches his father and gets a solution. A child is not going to its solution giver. A child is going to its father. It's a fine distinction, but it is a distinction. Where um, here's the difference, guys. Why do why do people go to different gods to seek answers? They're hoping one of the gods will give them an answer. The world does this. You go to temples, you go to mosques, you go to gurudwaras, you go somewhere to find an answer, or you go to a crystal ball or a um, psychic because you want an answer. Because they give you answers. We're not going to an answer. We are going to God Himself, who is my Father, in whom lies every solution. So my running is to my Father, not to my solution giver. My Father happens to have the solution. If your wife is your dinner provider, she will find out at some point. But if your wife is the one you love, she will also provide you dinner. Or sometimes husbands provide dinner, like Elmer does every so often. Like Kamal does every so often. Like Matt does every so often. Yeah. If God is silent, I never take it as a reflection of anything else, but so I'll come back tomorrow and ask you more. And as you age with him, the ageless one, you will find that you are no longer in a hurry because you've gotten to know that here is someone who has your best interest and whose timing is perfect. And because of that, you begin to come to a place where it doesn't, you're in no hurry. You're in no hurry. You mess up other people's lives in the bargain, but you're in no hurry. Because others want an answer and you can't give them an answer. But you're in no hurry. Because you know his timing is perfect. And he never holds back. He is not like our husbands, our wives, our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, and our bosses who hold back when things are not going well. You know that silent treatment thing? God ain't like that. He's got no thing called silent treatment when it comes to his children. Thank God, eh? Because if he tried the silent treatment, he'd have to do that with me 24-7, man, for little things that I miss here, little things that I miss there. Thank God he doesn't do that. So if he's silent, uh, you talk. You talk. That could be. Sometimes he doesn't give me an answer immediately. 
And at that time, uh, it could be because I'm not hearing. But sometimes I know I'm hearing and he still ain't saying nothing. And I say to him, all right, I'll ask you again later. It's like Ryan, when he tugs your shirt, Daddy, where's that inheritance of mine? Where's the million dollars? Where's the million dollars? <laughs> Thank God, God's name is not Marcus. <laughs> yeah, it's not today, maybe tomorrow. Ryan, keep trying, eh? Million dollars, man. By the way, tights is usually called 10%. Yeah, just so you know. Okay. Guys, um, endure confidently, yeah? Endure confidently. Endurance is not resignation. Faith, um, sometimes Christians talk about faith as in, oh yes, I'm enduring. But that endurance is not, um, that endurance is not, are you guys getting this fan at all? Okay. Mark will just suffer through it. Um, or he'll just move. Or Mark and Rhonda will both move because they are sacrificial people who prefer the benefit of others to theirs. So, um, guys, endure confidently. Because endurance that is not confident is resignation. And faith has nothing to do with resignation. Faith doesn't resign. Hebrews 10.35 puts it this way. I love it. I learned that as a child, the song. Um, no, I wasn't a child. I only became a Christian when I was 20-something. Uh, it says, um, Hebrews 10.35, Do not cast away your confidence. Do not cast away your confidence. For great is your reward, and you will inherit the promise if you endure with patience and with faith. Hebrews 10.35. Don't cast away your confidence. Endure confidently. Because the sound from heaven always comes suddenly. The sound from heaven always comes suddenly. As in Acts chapter 2. You see that in verse 2. And they were all gathered in the upper room. Because Jesus had said, go wait in Jerusalem till I pour out my Holy Spirit. And now they've been there for some time. And suddenly Acts chapter 2 verse 2 says, and suddenly they heard a sound from heaven. It might be just around the corner, guys. Just around the corner. Endure confidently. What does that mean? Maybe six years. What does that mean? Maybe six minutes. What does that mean? Maybe six seconds. Endure confidently. While you're enduring, don't think that the only thing you're going to do is sit here and wait for that guy to come along to marry you six years from now. There's so much else to do, man. I think I read someone's mail. Anyways. <laughs> Any questions before we go on? Next one. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Guys, some of us have to embrace our responsibility just as Moses did. Imagine what Moses is doing. He's heard. Look at what he's heard. Hey Moses, this is me, God. Yes, God. I want you to cut a lamb, yes God, and then take the blood, yep, and then go put it on the doorpost this way, and this way, and this way, sure. And what's that going to do, Lord? 
oh, uh, uh, there's an angel that's going to come, and he's going to come with a sword and start just killing every one of the firstborns in Egypt. And what will this blood do? The moment this angel sees this blood, it will not enter your house. And don't for a moment think that this angel was necessarily a God angel. Eh? That's what our minds think when we say the word angel. Psalm 78 tells us differently, but we won't go there today. The point being, Moses takes the blood of some bulls and goats and puts it on every door. And he is telling Israel, listen, I heard God. And God is saying, put some blood on your doorpost. And tonight, all the firstborns of Egypt are going to die, but you don't have to worry, you'll be safe. He's responsible now for almost a million people. And he has the audacity to say this. But the Bible says, by faith, he instituted the Passover. So that the destroyer who went and killed every firstborn in Egypt did not touch the firstborn of Israel. Guys, embrace your responsibilities. Husbands, embrace your responsibilities. Pastors, embrace your responsibilities. Mothers, embrace your responsibility. Because as you hear, believe, act and speak, you will find that you suddenly are keeping under God, under a canopy, those that are in your charge. Grandmothers and grandfathers, embrace your responsibility. We have the privilege. Older brothers, embrace your responsibility. For the younger ones, even though they sometimes don't understand. And I'm not talking about anybody in this room. <laughs> embrace your responsibility, because just as Moses saw, believed, spoke and acted, and saved an entire nation, so... When you install God's desires and will through faith, it becomes a wall, it becomes a shield that protects and delivers those in your charge. Your faith keeps them. Hallelujah. I don't say that too often. Feeling particularly Pentecostal today. My faith keeps others placed in my charge. This is very biblical. You see that with Elisha. So there are some Syrians that are attacking Israel. What does he do? He says to his servant, hey, don't worry. There are more for us than against us. And he opens the eyes of the servant in chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6. And he sees the chariots of heaven, uh, chariots and the horsemen of Israel on the top of the trees. And he delivers Israel. And the Syrians go blind. Another time, 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, Elisha is with this king called Jehoshaphat. And the enemy is huge. And Elisha says, don't worry, by this time tomorrow. There is no water in this river. This river will be full of water. And all those enemy guys will be attacking each other. There will be blood flowing like water. You will not have to do anything. Stand and see what God will do. One man's faith delivers the nation. It's happened again and again and again and again. You think one man's faith can't deliver your family? You think one man's faith can't deliver this church? You think one man's faith can't deliver this nation? What are we talking about? We are not talking about a puny man's faith. We are talking about a puny man's humongous God who sits on a throne in the heavenlies, king over the entire universe. And that same big God actually lives personally in this puny man. Slightly big man. That's how this works, guys. You can keep those that are in your charge. So rise up. Because some of us have to embrace our responsibility. And if we don't, 
then hand it over to somebody else. But for God's sake, don't keep it and not use it. If I can't do what I need to do for Acts 29, I need to hand it to a Marcus or a Derek or a Heidi or a Mark or whoever. But I should not hold on to it and not use it. Any questions? Guys, there's a pecking order in the kingdom and in the satanic kingdom. And if you are in the pecking order up here and you don't want to do what you want to do and embrace your responsibility, then hand it over to somebody who's here saying, at present I'm not in a place to. I give you authority and I cover you the best way I can because I don't seem to be able to. But don't stand here and not do nothing because you can keep those that are in your charge. But we'll talk about that another day. The other thing is, guys, train your mind to obey the Holy Spirit and then sustain your obedience with faith. Train your mind to obey the Holy Spirit. Learn to obey as soon as you hear Him. And then sustain obedience through faith. Don't wait for faith to happen. As soon as you hear God, train your mind to obey Him. Once you know it is God. Once you've verified it is God, train your mind to obey Him. After you obey Him, you'll go, Oh shucks, man, what have I gone and done? Then sustain it by faith. First obey, then get frightened, and then sustain it by faith. <laughs> what do you think Peter did? Jesus said, come, so he stepped out. You think he thought for a second, he's walking on substance, he has no business walking on. And as he's walking, he suddenly realizes I'm walking on water. So he sustains it with faith for a little while more, till fear takes over. Train your mind to obey the Holy Spirit as soon as you hear him and know it is God. And once you do that, sustain your obedience through faith. Because there's nobody who can say, uh, there might be people here who can say, I don't have the faith for it. But there's nobody in this room who can say, I don't have the obedience for it. Oh, I don't have the obedience for it. Too bad, you have it. It's just a choice you make. Sustain it by faith after. Next line. Two more lines to go. Urged by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned or they were swallowed up by the sea. Urged by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians tried, when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Guys, I love this, eh? Faith constructs a realm that confuses demons. Faith constructs a realm that confuses demons. When you operate in faith, it literally constructs a realm in which demons are confused. Because demons don't understand faith. Demons don't understand your connection with God in terms of faith. So what happens is, once you start operating by faith, demons can't see. Once you start operating by faith, demons can't plan. Once you start operating by faith, demons can't advance. Hey Jeevan, church starts at 3.30, but you're welcome anyways. Today it started at 2.30, I don't know, maybe you overslept or something. Jeevan was in Vernon this morning preaching there, so he just got back from Vernon. I heard it went well. Yeah. 
So guys, faith constructs a realm that confuses demons. And so what happens then is, here is a situation that Satan has worked at for months to set up in your life. He has coordinated his agents here on earth. He's coordinated the demonic realm. He's set everything up. And finally, he thinks you're in the trap. That the demonic can understand. But you're in the trap, and here's what you start doing. You behave as if you're not in the trap. You are singing. You are joyful. You're trusting God. You're speaking loudly about God. As you begin to do this, a strange thing happens. It constructs a realm around you which is highly confusing to the enemy. Because in this realm, he cannot see. Because he operates as someone who sees plans and advances based on human responses. He's a created being. He's not God. He's not creator. And he's unable to see your next move. He's unable to predict what you will do next because you're not operating according to logic, your brain, the worldly way of doing things, experts, you're doing nothing right. You're operating by an invisible thing called God and faith in God. He's unable to see. Now he's unable to plan. He does not know what to do. Should he go forward? Should he not? Everything he's set up is beginning to collapse. Do you know how long it took for Satan to set up Haman to slaughter the Jews at the festival of Purim? In the book of Esther. Do you know how long it took to orchestrate that? And what does a girl called Hadassah do? She decides to take up a fast and decides that this is not going to happen. What do you do when the king wakes up in the middle of the night and sees a dream in which he is supposed to go to the library and pick up a book and read it? What do you do when he reads the book and finds in the book the name of a man called Mordecai who had saved one of his ancestors from trouble. What do you do when the same Mordecai who's supposed to be hung on the gallows now sits on a horse, on the royal horse, decked in royal attire and goes through the city? What does the devil do then? What do you do when Haman goes up to dinner with the king and stumbles and falls upon Esther, the king's wife, and the king is enraged that you dare to fall upon my wife? What do you do when the gallows that was set up for Mordecai now is set up for Haman and he hangs there? What do you do when the very king that said all the Jews shall be slaughtered now gives another decree saying every Jew has a right to bear arms and combat anybody who comes to slaughter? What do you do? What do you do when the devil cannot see, cannot plan, cannot advance because you live by an invisible principle that defies logic, defies the ways of the world called faith. We don't understand what a powerful weapon we have in our hands. It's not a realm that the devil knows how to operate in. He doesn't know how to operate in this realm. You see that in Numbers 14 where Pharaoh and his chariots are coming behind you. The wheels, you can hear the wheels. And ahead of you is the Red Sea. And Moses says, the people start complaining, and God says, Moses, don't look at me. Just stretch out your uh, staff. I mean, that's what God says. Why are you looking at me? Don't, don't look at me. Do what I told you to. Stretch out your staff. The sea opens across on dry land. And Pharaoh and his armies here symbolic of the demonic who want to destroy the people of God now say we will chase them too 
and now read the rest of it. It is, I mean, if it was a comedy movie, it would be funny. Go read it. Um, Exodus 14. Exodus 14. Verse 23 to 28. Exodus 14, 23 to 28. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He looked down and threw the army into confusion. Look at what happens next. I mean, this is... He made the wheels of the chariots come off. I love the way it says, so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them back into the sea. The water flowed back, covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. The wheels came unstuck and so they had difficulty driving. Understand what faith does to the realm of the demonic. Any questions? Last one. Uh, Exodus 14, 14 actually says, Moses says to the people, hey, the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you will only have to be silent. Crazy, huh? The Lord will fight for you and you will only have to be silent because the Egyptians you saw today, you will never see again. That's what he says to them. The last verse, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Guys, here's a sad thing, eh? Between verse 29 and verse 30, there's a 40-year gap. Between verse 39, uh, verse 29 and verse 30, there's a 40-year gap. Hebrews 11.29 and Hebrews 11.30, between those verses is a 40-year gap where not much of faith happened. That's an indefensible position to hold. Eh? You had a people in whose midst God dwelt and there were no incidents of faith between verse 29 and verse 30. 40 years of faithless living. Scary. We, our position, if we have had one year or one and a half years of no stories of faith, is indefensible. Indefensible. Because there he used to dwell in the midst. Here he dwells not in our midst, he dwells actually in us. The same who rules from heaven and is king of the universe and sits on a throne next to his father is the same one who actually personally is present, present in me. It is indefensible for Jacob to continue even three weeks without acts and stories of faith. Indefensible. Not even three weeks. 
questions before we move on? If our life is not a life of faith, then what is it? It is a life that is saved, that is living by its old ways of living. It doesn't have to be a resounding testimony, guys, but it has to be a life of faith. Where there is this reckless abandon, dependence and trust upon the Father for all the things that He's already provided us before we were born by grace that we are highly dependent on through every situation that we go through. Be it an ailment, be it something that has upset us, be it a threat, be it perceived danger, be it, uh, I don't know, the millions of things. It's, our position is indefensible if we do not have, if, either, if there's a three-week gap between one instance of faith and another instance of faith in our lives, then all that we are doing is living lives as ones that are saved and nothing else. And may this church never allow you to survive here with that. May this church make it so difficult for you to continue if that is how I live. May not be possible. And so they, they now have come to Jericho. And they've been in this part before. 40 years ago, 12 spies went out. And the 12 spies had gone out and they had gone past different places exploring what the land was like, the promised land was like. And perhaps they had come across Jericho or come across other walled cities like Jericho. And this was a city or city like this must have frightened the spies and the people 40 years ago where they said the people looked like giants and we were like grasshoppers and uh, it's a great land but mm, impossible to take. And now, here they are again, 40 years later, with no acts of faith to show. And they are once again at that place where they cannot inherit the promise without conquering Jericho. You cannot inherit, uh, once again in that same place, where you cannot conquer Jericho without inheriting. You cannot inherit the promise without conquering Jericho. Guys, right now in every life here, there is an area where you have chickened out from exerting faith. What does chickened out from exerting faith mean? Meaning you are hesitant either because you failed in the past or because you tried it and nothing happened or because you can't trust God in that area. And so in that area, you always come to Jericho and say, eh, this promise I'll inherit in the sweet by and by. Live without it here. I'm saying refuse to stop at Jericho's in your life. I want to push past my present boundary without stepping into presumption. Push past my present boundary in every area. Every area, be it finances, be it my ability in some other area where I'm scared, got to push past. Whatever it be. Because there's no inheriting the promise in that area without conquering Jericho. And many of you have, eh? Many of you have. You've gotten to a place where things you never used to do, you do. 
And you've done it not out of bravado, but of, out of faith. So, here's what we can do if we want to live like that. One, start afresh by, start trusting God afresh. Start trusting God afresh. And if you do, here's what will happen. One, your measure of faith will be uncapped. Guys, Romans 12 verse 3 says that everybody sitting here, if you're a believer, you have received a measure of faith. There is nobody here who does not have a measure of faith. And I would suggest to you that all of us receive the same measure of faith to start with because God won't give one extra faith and one less faith. We all got saved by faith. There is a measure of faith that is appointed to everybody here. There's not a single person here sleeping or awake who has not, and all the sleeping ones woke up. <laughs> There's not a single person here sleeping or awake who does not have a measure of faith that has been given to you and that we share in common. The only difference is, as you start trusting God afresh, your measure of faith will be uncapped. Will be uncapped. Second, you will please God. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hey, Finn and Ari and Tate are Mark and Rhonda's kids, regardless of what they do. But there are days when their children please them, and there are days when they are just children. With God, we never stop being sons and daughters. But the one thing that God says really pleases Him, and without which it is impossible to please Him, is faith. Faith is the trusting, childlike response that I have towards God who has provided me everything and is willing to give it to me by grace. I don't have to extract it from him. Thirdly, you will inherit promises. Who got these pens? You are guilty of these pens. No, these pens are intoxicating. Yeah. Inherit promises. Start, guys, it's impossible to inherit promises unless there is faith. All that Christians inherit without faith are the very things that the world inherits that comes from the goodness of God and that the people in the world will give you. Ouch! Just think of that. Without faith, you will get what your boss gives you, what the world gives you, what the sweat of your brow will give you, 
what doctors will give you, what Donald Trump will give you. These are the things you inherit without faith. You will also inherit the rain, the sun. You will inherit whatever you sow will grow. You will inherit all the principles that apply to God's goodness to the world. You will also inherit God's goodness shown to Christians and his children in general. You will inherit that too. But you will not inherit certain promises. You will not inherit your God-crafted inheritance without faith. You will not. Israel would have continued living in the desert with water, with manna. They'd have to change their name from Israel to manna nation or something. Because they'd have been still eating manna. You cannot inherit promises except through faith. And lastly, this is, this in my opinion is, a, is an amazing thing. This is what makes the world look at us and say, your God must be God. You get to take down a walled city with seven trumpet-blowing priests and a silent army. You get to take down walled cities with seven trumpet-blowing priests and a silent army. And that is why the rest of the world takes note of your God. You get to do things that are so ludicrous that people say, this must be God. Daniel in the die lion's den. Your God is God. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the furnace. Your God is God. Paul, when he raises up the dead, in, uh, your God is God. Paul, when he uh, gets bitten by a snake and the snake falls into the fire and he walks off free. Your God is God. These things don't happen. Exploits of faith. Elijah at Mount Carmel, your God is God. These four things do not happen without a, a fresh trusting of God. These things won't happen. Guys, isn't this worth it? Christian life is very hard to be lived if we don't live it like this. It's one of the most painful, boring lives to live if this isn't there. Other religions have more festivals, there's more dancing, there's more colors, the gods look more beautiful. Pardon? They are visible. Our God is invisible, but without faith, life with him is so, so not fun, man. Any questions, please feel free to ask. Yeah. Is there a specific time for God to give us what we ask by faith? Um, he knows. I don't. 
So I'm always acting in the, not assumption, in the good faith that he's my father, I'm his child, I trust him, I will go ask and I will receive in perfect time. And uh, certain things Christ has already done, those things I expect to happen immediately. When they don't happen immediately, I'll stand at f 4 o'clock and expect it to happen immediately at 4. When it doesn't happen at 4, I'll stand at 5 and expect it to happen immediately at 5. And so it goes on. But I, things that have been accomplished by Christ already, I do expect immediately. I, I, I remember talking about this ages ago. Faith has this tendency to combine immediacy with patience. And they are not contradictions, they go hand in hand. This is why Jesus said, whatsoever you believe, whatsoever you ask for, believe that you have received it. That's the immediacy. And yet, at times, I've seen it taking a day, two days, six years, 13 years. 13 years is the max I've gone to um, for it to happen. But did I receive it immediately in my spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it's because I slept with Hagar, sometimes with Bathsheba, and sometimes with, who's the other woman? Delilah. Delilah. That's one of the reasons. Other times it's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with God bringing things together, coordinating everything together so that there's this crescendo at the end of the song. Often, but uh, I would like to ask why there's a delay. Whenever there's a delay, I ask, Father, how come you're not saying? How come you're not saying? How come you're not saying? And uh, you keep going with it. The moment you forget that he's your father, uh, everything goes kaput. Anything with God, you must remember you're dealing with a father. The moment you forget that he is father and you think he is only God, you're finished. Because I must never forget that he is father. When he disciplines me, if I think he is God, I'm finished. When he heals me, if I think he is God and not my father who is God, who is healer, the next time he doesn't heal immediately, it bothers me. When he doesn't provide and I forget that he is not father, I think of God as being miser. When God doesn't answer and I think of him as a God who is silent and oh, I can't hear, I'm not very good at this. If I forget that he's father, I think of God as a silent God. When I think he's a father, I think to myself, my dad who was imperfect used to talk a lot. Surely this God must be at least 10 billion times better. May it not take us 25 years and 40 years and stuff like that because we don't live as long nowadays. Thank God for that. Eh? Things happen faster. Imagine if your lifespan was nine, 900 years. Man, then 40 years is like nothing. Any other questions, guys? Any other questions? Okay. 